Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4012 of the Bugle, the world's most reliable source of real news, fake news, fake real news, real fake news, key difference that anti-news, hyper-news, and should be real but still actually fake news, something for everyone. I am Andy Zaltzman, the overlord of everlasting doom. Uh, don't like to make a big thing of it, but you know, an inherited title is an inherited title. I'm British, there's not much I can do about it. I'm in London, but not everyone in the world can say that, including my guest this week, joining us from somewhere that is not London, but is Mumbai, India. It's the man who runs Bollywood, Anuvav Pal. Hello, Andy. Hello. Hi. How's, uh, how's India? Well, Andy, uh, India is still here, I'm happy to report. Oh, that's um, good. Can't say that about a lot of countries nowadays. We just have to check in every morning if they're around or not. Uh, but we're still here. We may have shifted a little to the left, but uh, by and large, that was attributed to the entire world rotating. And so we haven't actually moved. We're still here um, and, you know, we're still at a billion and growing. Right. So, uh, you know, not making much of an impact on the world by just being a tiny one-sixth of it. But we're here, Andy. <laughs> we're here. Oh, it's, not, it's not strictly true to say that you're not physically moving. Because isn't, isn't India drifting northwards by you know, about a foot a year or something, smashing into the Himalayas at low speed? That's correct. That's correct. And, you know, it's this is not just also some geological thing that you're bringing up. If you came and lived here, Andy, which I know you've done... You could actually feel it. You could actually (laughs) feel the entire nation shifting a little to the right. Right. Um, And I mean that politically. I mean that (laughs) geologically. And I and I mean that actually. You know, you 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 could you could see yourself heading in that direction. So that is that is very well observed. In fact, um, you know, like some nations, like the Maldives and so on, that may not exist in five or six years, uh, they've been shifting. Into us, actually. I think those islands are coming closer to India as we shift further to the right into Tibet. So I don't know where (laughs) any of us are heading. Well, well, someday you're just going to blast out the north of Russia and smash the North Pole to pieces, if there is a North Pole left by then. I think like everything else in the world, we're all heading to China. I think that's where (laughs) this is going. So this is Bugle 4012. I think I might have said last week that we'd have Hari Kondabolu on this week. He's now going to be on next week because of logistics and stuff. Uh, 4012, coincidentally, is the year in which, on current predictions, the world finally recovers from Donald Trump winning the US election. Also the year in which historians finally manage to explain the look on Boris Johnson's face the morning after winning the Brexit referendum. This is The Bugle for the Week, beginning Monday the 16th of January 2017. We are recording on Friday the 13th. Uh, so I mean, if, you know, this this could this could be the end of times. Frankly, I don't know how much science is involved in Friday the Thirteenth, but there was um, a report from the Stress Management Center and Phobia Institute in Asheville, North Carolina, that suggested that around twenty million people in the United States are affected by a fear of Friday the Thirteenth, um, and it's uh, estimated that it costs. Uh, America between eight hundred and nine hundred million dollars in lost business every Friday the thirteenth, uh, which does partially explain why that has become a country that has elected who it has elected. <laughs> uh, but don't worry, the next one is not until nine months away. 
So, but bear, nine months is a dangerous length of time. Do not conceive and give birth a child today and on the 13th of October. <laughs> Could be disastrous for the planet. As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, uh, with Britain's National Health Service clinging to the precipice of functionality after prolonged underfunding and mismanagement by governments and or wasting its money on keeping people alive who realistically are never going to be top-line celebs and or just being naturally wasteful like the bastion of communism it is. And with American healthcare about to go into surgery with Dr Trump, a man whose bedside manner might be fairly described as harrowingly c***ish, we give you a free pull-out guide to do-it-yourself surgery. We're all going to have to start taking these things into our own hands as funding and availability gets more and more scarce. And we tell you how to be your own surgeon in the comfort of your own home using everyday household appliances and kitchen utensils. We advise you how to perform an endoscopy using leftover straws from your kids' birthday parties, a cheap beginner's microscope and a compact makeup mirror. How to rig up an old 1970s cathode ray television, a microwave oven, a shower rail and a roll-top metal bathtub to make your own full-body CT scanner. And the best store cupboard staples to use to make your own charmingly homespun pharmaceuticals, including a litre of export-strength vodka, half a dozen eggs and a jar of peanut butter. Whiz it up in a blender to make the perfect anaesthetic tincture to calm those angry post-operative scars. Do use smooth peanut butter, that is essential. 20 teaspoons of instant coffee dissolved with 20 teaspoons of caster sugar in 50 millilitres of Coca-Cola has a very similar effect to neat adrenaline or epinephrine, uh, whichever floats your funky boat, you know, just in case. Uh, and strawberry jelly with a bit of cornflour, ideal for cosmetic implants for any part of the body. And uh, remember, water out of your tap is basically the same as homeopathic medicine, so if you're stuck for supplies, just use that and pretend really hard. And we give you a do's and don'ts of home surgery. Do warn your neighbours in advance that you will be operating on yourself. Home ops can end up a little bit noisy. And the last thing you want when you're midway through a dining table appendectomy is the police turning up and battering your front door down because Gladys from next door thinks there's a murder taking place. Don't plan anything strenuous for the evening. Do make sure you have plenty of kitchen towel to hand. Home ops can get messy. Take it from me. I'm midwife to birth in my bathroom. Don't expect to get everything perfectly right first time. Even experienced surgeons make mistakes, so if your spouse, partner or child cuts the wrong tube, do try to be understanding. Do print out your step-by-step -step instructions for how to do the operation before starting doing the operation. You don't want to be fiddling around with printer cables and ink cartridges whilst a kidney is dangling out of your torso. Don't copy what they do on a medical TV drama like ER, Casualty, Band of Brothers, The Nick, Doogie Howser MD, or especially The Nick. They often edit stuff down to fit everything in, and you really shouldn't do that in a real operation. And do get your kids to help out as nurses and orderlies. It'll be fun and educational for the little ones. They can even help out as anaesthetists once they're old enough to swing a heavy based frying pan or mix a cocktail. And uh, yeah, as part of this uh, section uh, on home surgery, going straight in the bin, we have a competition. You can win a Bugle home surgery kit featuring a staple gun, a turkey baster, duct tape, nutcrackers and chopsticks. Uh, plus, and this kit is personally guaranteed by John Oliver to prove a 100% lifesaver. You can check with his lawyers. That's bullshit. And you can win that if you can answer this question. Where was Soviet self-surgery star Leonid Rogozov when he performed an emergency appendectomy on himself in 1961. Or see, A, in a Vostok space rocket testing out the effect of zero gravity on surgery, 
What's he be on centre court at Wimbledon, halfway through his men's semi-final against Ken Rosewall of Australia? Was he C in Lennon's mausoleum in Red Square? Rogozov won a competition to start replacing the dead former Communist Revolution star's internal organs to see if they could bring him back to life. Was he D in Antarctica, dicking around in the snow? Or was he E in the final of the Eurovision Song Contest? Uh, and he performed the operations, the grand finale, to the USSR's entry that year, a song entitled You Are the Collective Farm of My Heart. Uh, a, B, C, D or E, uh, do send your answer to yourself. And if you get it right... Uh, then you win that kit that I mentioned earlier on. That section, in the bin. Interestingly, Andy, the do-it-yourself surgery sounded a, li- a lot like an actual surgery at an Indian <laughs> hospital. So <laughs> so for, for me, I was hard to laugh because uh, it sounded very close to a professional medical service you would receive in any other part of the world. Well, definitely in my part of the world. Andy, as a top story this week, I, I have a question, really, a conundrum. Um, I don't know much about the developed world. I'm learning more about America every single day. And I don't know if you've heard, but... Uh, <laughs> That's a bad idea. Yeah, it's not a good thing, Andy. It's not a good thing. But now, the way information travels, Andy, I can't help it. I do just receive information, even when you don't want it. Um, you know, I, I just found out... For example, that my old school teacher was caught for tax fraud. This is not information I need, but I get it on Facebook. This is not stuff that... Anyway, so America, right? Um, Donald Trump, president-elect, Andy, has not given a press conference since July, presumably because in the last press conference, it almost ended up like a brawl. <laughs> a public brawl. Um, not not any different from way not any different from the way sort of our ATM bank lines looked in India in November. <laughs> so that's what happened at his last one. He hasn't done one since July, but I suppose he's president elect, so he feels like he needs to do one, and he'll have to do many more as president. So he's prepping, and he comes out, and it seemed to me, and my my uh, hold of the English language, it being my third language, is not so strong, but it seemed to me, Andy that the main reason why the leader of the free world had a press conference was to deny that he may have been in an environment where some sort of urination was involved, whether (laughs) on him or whether he was supervising. Now, as a student of history, Andy, that you are, I want to know, is this regular practice? Do Uh, world leaders in the first world often have to do press conferences to deny that they were... In a urination situation. <laughs> well, I think, isn't that why Neville Chamberlain had to quit as Prime Minister? <laughs> and uh, it was, I mean, they used to use the war as a smokescreen. Appissment. <laughs> Boom. Thank you, Chris. Okay. Fa- family show, mate. Raise the bar. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, well, Catherine the Great, the uh, Russian uh, Russian Empress, she, uh, there were various allegations that went into horse use. Um, that were never, never fully proven. Um, I mean, Trump is in a, you know, an honourable tradition. When you look back to Roman times, I mean, this would have been considered, you know, barely even breakfast behaviour to have <laughs> prosti- alleged prostitutes allegedly urinating on an alleged bed. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's pretty small fry, really. I mean, also, you know, in in here in Britain, Anuvab, our dear departed Prime Minister David Cameron, uh, he may or may not have 
put his membrum into the uh, dead mouth of a dead former farm animal. So you know, if that if that what if that helps, I mean, to be honest, the way Trump campaigned, I don't know why he's denied this, even if it isn't true. Which presumably, it, I mean, it probably isn't true. I mean, I know no smoke without fire is basically legally binding in the mod- modern media. But I think if it isn't true, that, I mean, that would surely disappoint his core voters because that is exactly the kind of thing you would have expected Donald Trump to do. And I think his supporters would have thought if he had the opportunity to hire out a hotel room used by the Obamas and he did not take the opportunity both to hire that room out and to hire a group of prostitutes to urinate on the bed, they will think he has somehow betrayed them, I think. That is, that'd be the kind of behaviour... I mean, I think ideally what they would have wanted is for him to do it whilst the Obamas were still in the bed. But, I mean, that maybe that is too much to ask logistically. But surely this is... he. he I'm surprised he did not own up whether or not it actually happened because that surely would consolidate his supporter base. Absolutely, Andy. Absolutely. I think I think you've, you've raised some great points here. I mean, look, he's a dealmaker. It's something he does. A hotel room can't just be a place for sleeping. Why can't it also be a place for... Uh, various Russian-based prostitutes to also use it as a lavatory. Now, I think I think it's a it's a fair point. Well, in in some ways, also Anavab. I mean, this is uh, in many ways probably the most feminist thing Trump has ever done. Um, I mean, if it, if it if he did actually do it, because there's always complaints that uh, the toilet facilities for women at uh, public buildings, stadiums, theatres, the works are inadequate. Women always have to queue for far longer. Than men, Trump surely was you know, laying down a marker for feminism to say, "No, you deserve greater equality, and I will let I will let you use my personal bed as a, a public facility." But I mean, that is, I think, in many ways, he's very much the new Mrs. Pankhurst. <laughs> and Andy, what do you what do you think of his denial at the press conference when this topic was alluded to? When he said, "I wouldn't do that. I'm a germophobe." Um, <laughs> What what's your view of that, Andy? I mean, he's 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 in a way making his case, like as any leader of the free world would do, um, which begs, which sort of raises another question. You know, a lot of people have been asking uh, on the podcast about the post-truth world. I know you've discussed the post-truth world, but in the post-truth world, are there some instances, Andy, of too much truth? Um, do we really need to know? that the president-elect would not engage in supervising uh, urination from a, a group of well-known harlots because <laughs> he, he's a germaphobe. Is that something we need to know? Um, it goes back to something that happened in India. Uh, we had the rise of a political party that campaigned on anti-corruption, and its leader was a gentleman called Arvind Kejriwal, who's currently the chief minister of Delhi. And the first day he assumed office... You know, big public support against corruption, all that. First day he assumed office, he went, uh, he couldn't go to office. And then he gave a brief press conference saying he can't go to office because he has, as you would call it in Britain, the runs. Or as we would call it in India, loose motions. And, and I don't know which is a better term to describe going to the toilet regularly. But he had the runs, he had loose motions, and he had a press conference and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, you've elected me unanimously in, the, in millions for this anti-corruption uh, platform. I want to go to office, but I've been shitting all day. 
and <laughs> I, I have the runs. And then he asked the press, do you want to know more? And it's the only time in the history of India where everyone united and said no. <laughs> <laughs> and my question here, Andy, is because there is a question. I'm building up to a question. I'm Indian, so okay, I have to good. go at it in a roundabout way. But there is a question. Here. And the question is, do we need to know this much truth in the post-truth world, Andy? <laughs> I would say, I would say no. Um <laughs> I would say no, simply because, um, well, I think, I, mean, I think fake news is in a lot of ways preferable to real news. I mean, real news really, really upsets people. A lot of it is quite depressing. At least with fake news, you know, you know it's fake. So, correct. Yeah, you know, I mean, oh, and also when it comes to Trump, it, it doesn't really matter. There is no fake news you could possibly make up that would make him any less appropriate to be president of the United States. <laughs> than all the actual stuff that's out there. I mean, I've, I mean, here is some more fake news on Trump, none of which is true, which uh, I've just got from uh, just inside my own head. Uh, <laughs> Trump uh, secretly, this was about three years ago, he hired a mad scientist. He brought Mary Todd Lincoln, the widow of Abraham Lincoln, back to life, got her absolutely drunk off her dead tits on absinthe, took her down to the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., and made her perform a lurid sex act on the big marble statue of Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> and then sold her to a Chinese collector who collects uh, ex-president's wives. Trump also hired 50 prostitutes to reenact the World Series of 1932, and then didn't, didn't pay them because they got the score wrong. Trump secretly sneaks into <laughs> zoos at nights and makes zookeepers feed Viagra to all the animals, then watches them hump whilst rubbing himself in the crotch. He, Donald Trump. Do you know this? This, this, this is this is true. This is this is not true, but it is true. I've just I've just heard this from an unreliable source myself. He keeps a ferret in his underpants called Petula, and when it nibbles his testiculati, it makes him sniff. Though we've seen that all the way through the camp. That's it. He's a, it's a hungry ferret, and he likes a snack. Donald Trump has a tattoo of his own face on his own peneid. And when his membrum trumpiculum tumesces at the thought of a grabbable feminine virginietta or other such source of trumpic erotic hawuga faction, the eyebrows on the tattooed Trump go up. But does, none of that clearly is true. Well, even if it was true, it would not make him a single fraction of a percent less suitable to be president than he already is. That's up. That's absolutely true. In fact, like you said, his voter base would be disappointed if some of these things are not true. And it's sort of tragic that we live in a world where, as you're describing these things, however exaggerated and fantastic, there are probably listeners of this podcast Googling these things right now <laughs> to see whether they may or may not have happened. Put them on Trump's Wikipedia page. No smoke without fire. <laughs> And they would gladly upload it. Look, like you said, you know, again, I don't know much about the first world, but if one of your investigative journalism stories, which is kind of true, is based on the fact that a prime minister of a developed nation could or could not have made love to a small pig. <laughs> if that is the starting point of a real news story, everything you've just described that day is just about 90 percent possible. <laughs> Uh, there was a gloriously British response uh, to the the whole shamozzle. Um, the former British ambassador to Russia was interviewed on uh, on Radio Four this morning, and uh, said uh, said this was he was asking you know, whether you know these unsubstantiated sources 
you know, whether they were trustworthy. And his point was that, you know, given the nature of Trump, then you've got to, you know, there might be some credence in some of what was said. And he used this glorious phrase, Mr. Trump is not a man who is regularly driven by bashfulness and shame. (laughs) I think that is an early contender for most British sentence of the millennium. We're only 17 years in. And that is is going to be hard to beat. Mr. Trump is not a man who is regularly driven by bashfulness and shame. Team GB! Great sentence, Andy. Great sentence. This is what happens when your culture has irony, Andy. You know, <laughs> let me report something from a part of the world that isn't very ironic. When the Trump story broke, you know, if you live in a culture that's about survival, that wants to make a point to the world like India, you know, we want to be an economic power. It's all very irony free. So when the story broke, right, both the British story about the prime minister and the pig and the Trump story, we we always prefer petty logistics over any sort of irony, Andy. And so when this report broke that Trump may have been in a room watching certain prostitutes urinating, (laughs) the big Indian response was, which hotel, what room number? (laughs) (laughs) And that's when it struck me. And with the David Cameron thing, when that hit Times of India, our question was, what kind of pig? (laughs) And that's when I realized the real value of a post-ironic world. Because, you know, while you guys can enjoy the fun of this, you know, I'm glad to be in a part of the world that's really interested in the details. You know, (laughs) we've already accepted the truth. This happened. Now we just want to know (laughs) the petty logistics, you know. And I'm not for irony, Andy. I'm not one that likes irony. I don't understand it. I'm new to the English language. So these details are very important to us. And I like how we just accepted it. Ritz-Carlton Hotel, urination happened. What room how many prostitutes? Like we got into <laughs> the basic facts, Andy. And I think that's really where post-truth needs to go. Trump uh, had some quite extraordinary things to say, as uh, as ever. He described the publication of this uh, alleged Russian report detailing not just the uh, sexual shenanigans, but uh, some far more alarming... Uh, political <laughs> shenanigans as well. As uh, he said, the publication of this report was, quotes, something Nazi Germany would have done. Um, and uh, also in a tweet said, are we living in Nazi Nazi Germany? To which I guess the response is, um, Mr. Trump, uh, I, you're, I know you're locked in your tower about 24-7 at the moment. You must have a television there. Put the History Channel on and watch any documentary. And that should answer, that should answer your question fairly conclusively. Um, he also, interestingly, seems a lot less keen on made-up bullshit than he was when making up bullshit during the election campaign <laughs> last year. I guess, I guess that's just politics. And also, it strikes me as a bit rich, Anuvab. America is a, a Christian country, and I know I'm coming at this from a, a, a Jewish perspective. Yes, Andy. But for a Christian country to moan about fake news, given that their fave religion was kicked off by the gospel hacks churning out the clickbait, I mean, that is, that is rich. Man gets entire wedding party drunk with water... Jesus slams absentee dad at own execution and how to perfect the perfect loincloth and six-pack look. That, 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 is the found, that kind of shit is the foundation of America. And so they really... They, Trump should accept this as just parts of his national, national heritage. Trump turned once again to one of his favourite topics, the wall with, uh, with Mexico. Um, satellite projections do suggest that Mexico is currently uh, about 25% through sawing itself off 
from America and it's just going to just gradually shift itself further southwards. Um, <laughs> he said, we're, we're going to build a wall and Mexico will reimburse us, he says. Uh, that will happen. Uh, Mexico responded by saying, no, it won't. Uh, obviously it won't. Uh, but there are some ways in which he could make Mexico pay for the wall. And if I've thought about this long and hard, uh, number one, mm-hmm. send Mexico a bill for the wall. Now, if number one doesn't work, just if they, they decide not to pay the £10 billion for the wall that they've not asked for, he could try phoning Mexico, putting on a mafia voice and saying something like, it would be an awful shame if those Aztec temples got a little bit damaged, wouldn't it, Mr. Mexico? <laughs> now, if neither step one nor step two works, try step three, tell Mexico the wall is a magic fajita, ask them if they would like to eat it, and then say it costs $10 billion, by the way, and that's without the guacamole. If none of one, two, or three works, try four, secretly film the president of Me- Mexico watching prostitutes urinate on a hotel bed, If then threaten to leak the footage, and if they don't pay up the $10 billion blackmail fee, try five, a complex system of hidden tariffs over several years, so you can claim that Mexico has indirectly paid for the wall, as you said they would, ignoring any overall loss to your national economy caused by slumping trade with, with Mexico, then get a guy in a sombrero with a big moustache dressed in a pantomime jalapeno pepper outfit to hand over a massive novelty check for £10 billion. That will... Definitely work. So Mexico will pay for that wall. I think that the president of Mexico needs to take your advice and hire you as a special advisor. <laughs> In a post-NAFTA world, you know, I think because what's going on with Mexico and the United States right now is a Twitter feud, as you've been following, Andy. Vincente Fox of Mexico tweeted the other day directly to Trump saying, <laughs> we're not paying for this f***ing wall. Um <laughs> And I think that when world diplomacy just comes down to swearing on Twitter, <laughs> that's where we need Andy Zaltzman as special envoy to Mexico. I think <laughs> this is the moment. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's basically... The UN really should just be operating via Twitter feed now. I think maybe, maybe this is... This could be the future. Save a lot of money for world diplomacy if it is just all done in the Twitter sphere. If the UN just sends out a daily tweet saying... Sake, everyone, calm the f- down. I mean, would that work any less well than their mealy, mealy-mouthed resolutions? I don't think so. Another worrying thing about Trump is he started referring to himself in the third person. Um, at this uh, now, that is barely acceptable in a world champion boxer, and definitely not acceptable in a soon-to-be president of the United States. But by this time next week. Andy, I have a question. Um, The streaming music website Spotify just announced that they'd given a job to President Obama. I am not sure if President Obama was looking for a job, but anyway, they've created a position for him. President Obama has been offered the job of president of playlists on Spotify. (laughs) And And it makes me wonder whether various other millennial technology companies are going to offer other such jobs to the president, like whether Tinder is going to have a job called the president of hookups. <laughs> Airbnb is going to offer a job as president of the couch surfing. I, I don't know. The, or Uber is going to offer a job as president of best shared route taken. I don't know what other roles will open up, but I just wondered if you had any views on these millennial focused tech companies Creating positions for this rock star 
ex-president. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's, it's always tough for, for presidents to know what to do after they've after they've left. I mean, president of playlists, you know, for most of us would be a you know a huge excitement to be Spotify's president of playlists. Uh, with I think there's a maximum eight-year term there, isn't there, under the Spotify constitution. <laughs> But for Obama, I mean, it has to be considered something of a step down, and might might not get quite the same thrill and uh, adrenaline as um, from putting up playlists of uh, you know classic '60s soul or uh, you know a nice bit of 1980s synth pop or whatever he's into. Spotify did clarify it does not come with a nuclear button. Oh right, that is a shame. Uh, Great band. <laughs> But, I mean, it's hard to know what Obama will do next. He's a young man still. He's, um, what is he, in his early 50s? 55. 55. Correct. Um, uh, he, I mean, he looks great for 55. But it's hard to know what he will do next, other than spend the rest of his life saying, damn it, every 20 minutes, day and night, when he thinks about the years 2008 to 2016 and all the things that he really wanted to get done but didn't. Uh, I mean, he could go to Vegas as a crooner. He's got a lovely singing voice. It could be, I could see him yeah. and Celine Dion working together. For the foreseeable, he could become, uh, you know, just travel the world as a freelance charismatician, advising the rest of the world's politicians on how to be more smooth and exciting in public. Theresa May could certainly do with some lessons over here. As long as yeah. he stays the f out of cricket statistics, leave my job alone, <laughs> Obama. Or you can crack a gag. Um, you know, if you, if, you t if you take over from me on the bugle, I don't mind. But leave the cricket stats alone. Um, maybe he'll go back to being just a regular attorney in Chicago. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, he got you know TV. He'd make a great TV host. Um, could be a, a judge on the new series of America's Got Issues. He could be the new Ricky Lake. I mean, the, the possibilities are possibilities are endless. Among all of these, Andy, I really like the 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 going around the world and just being charismatic, which almost yeah. lends itself to sort of being Barack Obama, Andy. It's almost like a full-time job. Um, I can't think of any president in the history of the United States where just being himself was enough, you know. It, like sometimes he would listen to Barack Obama's speeches, he'd deliver them in Berlin or Vietnam, didn't matter. You started crying because he was saying something about hope and children and stuff. And you're like, why is he even there? Um, but it didn't matter because he was just Barack Obama. And he was doing stand-up for a bit in all those White House press correspondence dinner. And I think... I, I just think that there was the presidency and there was Barack Obama and the two had very little to do with each other. <laughs> I think they got together during that Osama bin Laden surgical strike and I think that that's, that's a thing he did. And, uh, you know, wherever he goes into, I just hope he doesn't do too many surgical strikes in Pakistan. Uh, but <laughs> other than that, like, for example, we got into cricket statistics. You know, it wouldn't be nice if he just broke down doors and shot people. <laughs> um, that would not be nice, but... But that was his only presidency thing. The rest of it, there were lots of very good speeches and some superb comedy. And there has to be a job just doing that. There must be. Well, he could be the new John Oliver. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I have a question. Um, the game of football is very big where you're from. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been, uh, I've been reading that uh, there's a country called China. Uh, it's next to where I am and it's quite large. That's and correct. they have a lot of. <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad of... you've. I'm glad you've done your research for this. We <laughs> we insist on the bugle. I know you're relatively new to this august news institute. Basically, an encyclopedia of of truth. Uh, I'm very glad that you've done some 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 good quality research on China before beginning that sentence. Well done. 
Thank you, Andy. Thank you. You had uh, you had uh, told me to go out and get this thing. I'd written it down. It's called a world map. I found it, <laughs> and on it there was this place, China. It's big, and I also read up that they have a lot of money, and it appears that they have been buying up a lot of your football players, and. And I have a question, Andy. I have a philosophical question. Yep. If you've got a lot of money, is it possible to then just buy a sport and just move it to Asia? Is that is that a thing that's just possible? Well, um, I'm looking at the Indian Premier League cricket. You'd have to say yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, it is. Um, I mean, the Chinese football is fascinating. They're spending an insane amount of money, £60 million on... The Brazilian midfielder Oscar from Chelsea. They're paying Carlos Tevez, the rather aging Argentinian forward, £400,000 a week uh, to play in the Chinese league. There's, I mean, they just, I mean, just a report coming out uh, that the uh, Chinese club uh, Kaching Argyle, they've uh, just bought Cristiano Ronaldo's left testicle for £150 million. <laughs> They're planning to breed. Ronaldo's um, spermulums with a leopard and a shark to create the <laughs> ultimate footballer. Um, and I'm just reading, Anuvad, that you yourself have been uh, rumoured to be uh, about to join the Chinese uh, Premier League for two and a half million pounds as a holding midfielder. I mean, have you have you ever played football? I have not, Andy, and that is correct. That story is correct, and I think that is a fair price. Because <laughs> one of the things that we figured out in India very early on, as you said about the cricket, is that we are definitely for sale. <laughs> you know, the question is, in the rest of the world, you may often ask, are you a sellout? And in India, we often ask, why are you not a sellout yet? Does nobody want you? So coming from that philosophical entity, like we did with your gentleman's sport, you had cricket, you know, cricket came with white clothes, it came with tea, it came with a certain decorum. We went around and asked the world, are there cricketers that are for sale that'll wear anything and play with whatever rules of the game we make up? <laughs> and it seemed the world responded with yes. <laughs> and so in a similar vein, Andy, I have decided to play football. I am available for two and a half million dollars uh, <laughs> till about 20 minutes before this podcast. As we discussed, I didn't know where China was. I've looked it up. <laughs> it's large. It's nearby, and I'm I'm going to be I'm going to go there, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life as a relatively esteemed Chinese football player, and live a decent life as a Chinese footballer. Um, I have learned also that they have their own language; it's called Chinese. They have their own food; it's called Chinese food. So, as you know, I know a lot about that culture. <laughs> it is uh, amazing the number of top footballers who've uh, suddenly developed a, you know, a yearning to play in the Chinese. Uh, Chinese league. When we're in Europe, we'd like to think that everyone should do everything in Europe. That is just the way that we're brought up as as Europeans. It's uh, you know the, the the world belongs. It's basically a feeder system for Europe when it comes to football, as in uh, everything else. But now the money is taking our our you know our rightful South American footballers away from from Europe where they belong, and we're not happy at all about this. I know a lot of these footballers have just suddenly developed an addiction to smog. But, I mean, apart from that, why, why would they play in China for the relative pittance of £400,000 a week? It makes makes no sense. That's not the only big transfer fees flying around, Anuvab. In uh, Japan, yes, a dead bluefin tuna fish has been sold for £500,000 um, at auction uh, it was. Uh, I mean, that's a big transfer fee for a dead fish. Um, you just worry about 
whether it's going to be able to live up to the transfer fee when it's on the sushi slab. Is it going to go to the dead tuna fish's head? Is it going to get a bit cocky and arrogant and forget what it's best at, which is being cut into small strips and being eaten with wasabi and soy sauce? You do worry about it. And also the other fish, you know, this is going to inflate the market. Other fish are going to be demanding more. You'll have a shoal of sardines wanting two grand each just to get in the net. You'll have mackerel on 25 grand a week living in a luxury aquarium kitted out like a 1970s porn set. I mean, where's it going to... All these... There's going to be agents. There's going to be... Football agents going to move from football into fish. They're going to be swimming around the sea in scuba kits saying, three quarters of a million on my clan is not getting out of the water for you. I worry about this. It's a slippery slope. Well, I have, I have a question and, and an update for you, Andy. Uh, was, the question being, was the bluefin tuna bought by the same Chinese football company? who have now decided that they just want to spend money. It doesn't matter if they're buying human beings or fish. (laughs) They just want stuff for their football team. And they damn it, they don't care how it comes. And and sorry, I was was a little distracted because while you were talking about that, I, I just looked this up on Bloomberg right now. The same Chinese people are offering eleven billion dollars, Andy, for this podcast. Um, <laughs> it it will be delivered in Juan uh, or Remnimbi or whatever Chinese currency is 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 the currency when Trump uh, uh, comes into power, and um, that eleven billion Remnimbi could be equivalent to either four pounds or four hundred billion pounds, uh, depending on what trade deal. Uh, Trump decides on on the 22nd of January. So there you go, Andy. I'm sorry I was distracted. I was looking at Bloomberg and this just happened. Well, this podcast is not for sale. Next week we'll have a special feature on the Terracotta Army (laughs) and and how awesome uh, Confucius is. Anyway, um, your emails now and uh, thanks very much for your emails do keep them coming in to hello buglers at thebuglepodcast.com this one comes in from Niels uh, in uh, The Hague in the Netherlands um, just quite an interesting suggestion Anivab uh, Niels writes mm-hmm. I've done some thinking it's quite easy to solve the issue of foreign powers influencing elections why don't they just allow the whole world to cast a vote in everyone's general elections that way, everyone can have their say without having to resort to backdoor politics, bribing, hacking, etc. Just designate a few electoral voters to represent the state of the rest of the world. Uh, if they have this stupid tiered voting system, we might as well use it for good. I'd say everyone should have a, particularly the American election, everyone in the world should have a vote. I'm not saying it should be worth the same as American votes. I'm saying it should be worth more than American votes because it affects the rest of the world far more than it affects America, which is just going to carry on arguing with itself, oblivious to what happens in the rest, the rest of the planet. We deserve two votes in the American elections. In whatever crazy system they're using, electoral college should be expanded to encompass the whole of the planet, and we will have a far fairer, more stable, and widely respected democracy. That is, Niels, you've hit upon the solution to all the world's problems. Everyone to vote. In fact, there's an argument to say that people who live in their own countries are far too close to it to judge objectively. So, in fact, no one should be allowed to vote on elections in their own countries, and only people from outside should have any say on it. Although that yeah, didn't go too well with the European Union in the Brexit vote. Anyway, uh, there's, there's, there's something to work on, Niels. Thank you. That's a really interesting sort of... I just have one question with that, Andy. Do you think that the Americans would be a little confused when all their secretaries of state and transportation are Indian or Chinese. (laughs) 
<laughs> with with a single vote for every person and with three of the six billion in the world being these people it would be it would be a bit worried when mr modi is leading the american negotiations for russia or premier <laughs> or premier xi ping is 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 the secretary of transportation sitting in detroit fixing general motors uh, but but like you said maybe the americans wouldn't be able to tell the difference it's fine i would much rather have Modi and Xi Jinping for all their flaws than Trump and Ben Carson. So I will take that deal. <laughs> I can Do- tell you one thing, it'll be urine free. <laughs> <laughs> Do keep your emails coming in to hellobuglers at thebuglepodcast.com. That brings us uh, towards the end of this week's Bugle. Uh, just a quick word on... Uh, the Football World Cup, in a, in a brief sports section, FIFA has announced a rejig of the World Cup. Uh, the question that FIFA was facing was, how do you improve on something that is basically pretty much perfectly structured as it is? And they've come up with a traditional FIFA answer of making it considerably shitter for no real reason. They've, uh, they've announced it's going to in, uh, increase the Football World Cup from 32 teams in four groups of, uh, eight groups of four to 48 teams in uh, 16 groups of three going down to a 32-team <laughs> knockout and all the randomness and unsatisfactory defensive play that almost certainly entail. And you have to ask, Anifab, why would it be? Why would it be that FIFA, of all organisations, would suddenly expand their showpiece tournament to ex- include 16 more nations, thereby raising hope to uh, you know, far more football federations around the world that they could maybe qualify? I think you know, maybe they're just thinking of the... Overall good of the global game, I don't think there's anything more sinister to it than that. Absolutely not, Andy. Absolutely. I think the 16 nations, you know, that are joining really have just proved their mettle as footballers. And we will not count for all those wire transfers into Swiss bank accounts <laughs> that, we in, that we in India are quite familiar with, you know, because, because the way we look at it here is, that's just testimony to dedication, hard work and integrity, you know, because because <laughs> what is integrity if you cannot be for sale? What is the point of integrity? <laughs> I think FIFA's asking that question, Andy. And, and pe- I, I, for one, can't wait to watch Papua New Guinea versus Pakistan. I think that'll be a cracker of a football match. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean people forget of the, you know, the, the hard work that needs to go into top level corruption. It's not an easy job, necessarily. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's quite exciting for India because the Indian national football team has never never made it to a World Cup. They were invited to play uh, in the 1950 World Cup. Uh, all other Asian teams withdrew, apparently, but they couldn't go because of uh, uh, financial financial constraints. Uh, but this could be an exciting moment for Indian football to think that you might only be 100 nations away from qualifying for a World Cup rather than uh, 116. Very exciting. It's a big moment. In fact, the biggest moment for us was when all that corruption with FIFA came out. And because our only thing was, what? You guys were open to this? If only you told us, you know? (laughs) (laughs) We were a bit devastated that we came to it too late. Because we, you know, for those years, we had a bit of money. And we could have done something with it. We didn't have footballers, but we'd find them. That's fine. Um, (laughs) So that, that really hit us hard, that all those investigations and all of that. Well, that uh, does bring us to the end of uh, this week's uh, Bugle. Just uh, a quick thanks to those who came to see my Soho Theatre show, 2016, The Certifiable History. Um, don't forget, you can get my DVD at uh, 
gofasterstripe.com. You can uh, buy a physical version or a download uh, for a fraction of the price. I mean, you're cool. Clearly, you're cool. Um, uh, also, uh, my Plan Z tour of the UK is beginning on the 2nd of February in Bristol, then Leeds on the 4th, Leicester on the 9th, Richmond on the 10th. Richmond, Richmond, are you there? I've seen the ticket sales. Are you there, Richmond? And Peterborough on the 11th, then through the rest of February, Caution, Milton Keynes, Salford, Nottingham, Wolverhampton, Southampton and Canterbury. The details at andysaltzman.co.uk. Then the rest are in May. Um, and I think my uh, Melbourne Festival tickets are now available as well. But um, I can't tell you exactly where, but I reckon if you whack it into a search engine, you'll find them. Uh, anything to plug, Anivab, while we're in the ruthlessly commercial phase of the show? Andy, I, I'd just like to bring up a small piece of trivia I haven't told you about. I went to see the India-England cricket match. Oh, right. And I was sitting and watching the match when we were scoring 14,000 runs in one innings. <laughs> because that seems like a fair fight. Um, right. And I was sitting there and there was a gentleman. Uh, there was a, I think you have a fan base here, Andy. You have a fan base at Indian Cricket Stadiums because I saw a man with a placard. I'm not making this up. And even if I am, it's the post-truth world. You'll never find out. <laughs> he had a placard that said, where is Andy Zaltzman? I am not making this up. <laughs> And I really? think that is a philosophical question we're all trying to answer. <laughs> and if you'd like to clarify, he was in the Dilip Veng Saka, uh, the Dilip Veng Saka stands of the stadium, <laughs> which had no shade. So he, he had bought a right. cheap ticket. He was sitting there holding up his side saying, where is Andy Zaltzman? And I right. think he looked quite mad. So I don't know if this is something <laughs> you knew, but this is, this is just something you should know, Andy. I'm just letting you know. I want photographic evidence of this, but out of all the places I'm least likely to be found in the world, uh, not in the shade in India is pretty high amongst those places. Like, <laughs> it takes me about 30 seconds before I am essentially like a well-done steak. <laughs> anyway, Buglos, thank you very much for listening. Anivab will be back when he's uh, going to be here in London in February, so we'll be recording in the same room, um, uh, which is going to be exciting. Uh, and next week, we'll have Hari Kondabolu with a an instant reaction to the inauguration of Donald Trump as President of America. Oh, those words feel no better coming out of my mouth now than they did when I was vomiting them into my toilet last night <laughs> in rehearsal. Thank you very much for listening, Buglers. Until next time, goodbye. The Bugle is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, made possible with great support from our founding sponsors, the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos and teamwork. That's bullshit. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.